Happy holidays and welcome to Judgment Day. I'm your host, Michael Carroll. This episode, we're doing something real special. We got Christmas garbage we're looking at here. I'm changing up the format a little bit. I brought in some old guests that we had. Um, we got together in uh, clusters and we talked about um, a few um, crappy direct-to-video um, Christmas movies that I felt compelled to watch this year. Still trying to unpack what it is, but the, for the last few years, I, my wife and I have been watching a lot of these Christmas specials, and I think what's so interesting is there are so many uh, there are so many of these films made every year. It's just like an astonishing volume of them, and I, I almost feel like some of them have to be good. Some of them have to be um, interesting. It's 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 a fertile ground for good movies to come from they're just being made you know quickly and by people who are hungry so you know what's fascinating is is just going over and over and over with them what's fascinating is watching them how few of them actually do work and then also what they kind of are uh, that's, uh, another thing that I've been trying to figure out. I've been trying to like, uh, I'm just climbing this mountain cause it's there. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out like what it is that like connects a lot of these films because it is, it does feel like there's more to them than just Christmas. Christmas almost feels like it's the, 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 the seasoning, the flavor. It's not just that there's so many of them. You know, Christmas movies, you know, by their very nature, they, they're going to touch on, I think, a lot of um, important uh, subjects for um, life in the 21st century. Just baked into it, there's uh, stories about loneliness, community, love, you know, big topics. So fascinating how much, like, that stuff kind of gets glossed over or how it gets glossed over. There's a lot of stuff about career, um, there's a lot of stuff about space, and that's one of the things that watching them over and over again, uh, I, I think there's a pattern I recognize that I'm really interested in. I, I try to explore it in some of these interviews, but I'm, I'm still trying to figure it out for myself. But these films are just all so very suburban. You know, there, there's so many stories about, like, big rich city people who go to the country, and, you know, they're kind of shot in, you know generally affluent suburbs so nothing actually feels like a big city and nothing actually feels like a rural part of a country either um everything just kind of feels yeah just like shopping malls and 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 nice uh well-lit clean interiors and it's, it's i should say it's also like an idealized uh suburbia it's like a suburbia that suburbia sells itself so it's interesting to find like a connective tissue with those films. I don't know. I I, I would invite you, dear listener, to um, watch a couple of these movies yourself. You know, obviously this doesn't apply to the big movies. This doesn't apply to, you know, um, your Christmas stories or your, I don't know, Muppets or whatever. I'm talking about the Hallmarks, the Lifetimes, and, and the stuff kind of below that as well. Um, and that's the other thing is that they're they're very they feel very like they're made for television and I think that's fine you know I um I think that the, that's also the funny thing is that like a lot of these feel like um, 
yeah, they're not like films like we think of them, but if like you took a lot of the, if you took a lot of these productions and you stretch them out over like, um, a few seasons, you know, over like a few episodes of a TV show, it would feel like a TV show, but it's not, it has a beginning. They, they, they have beginnings and middles and ends. So, um, I don't know, I'm trying to think for myself what that all means. And then at the uh, at the end of the episode, I actually I'm I'm very excited to present to everyone. I have an interview with Matt Farley, who's a filmmaker from New Hampshire. That I um, I think he's he does some really amazing work, uh, and he's a great singer and songwriter as well. Very weird stuff. Very like silly in, in a very self conscious way. And uh, he we we sat down for a segment at the end. Of, very excited to um gotten to spend some time with him and to share that with everyone but um before we get into these uh these other movies which are which are you know going to be crappy uh, i want to talk a little bit about a movie um one movie i saw which i didn't think was crappy and it sort of um is in stark contrast to a lot of what we're about to talk about this film's called christmas again it's from 2014. It's directed by, I think his name is Charles Pokel, and it uh, stars um, this guy named Kentucker, oddly. And, you know, I was trying to think of when I was kind of like wrapping my head around this um, this episode, I really wanted to look at like different types of low-budget, no-budget um, Christmas detritus. And I came across this movie, and I think you would call it Mumblecore. It's definitely like an independent New York City production, so it's very much like a cinematic experience. It's it, it kind of is going for like that more highbrow, those highbrow, you know, emotional beats that these other films are not going to even go for. And I kind of went in, I, I went in watching like with really low expectations. You know, I talked about Mumblecore a little bit uh, in an episode about aging that I watched with, that I did with Megan Carroll, and we talked about uh, Hump Day. But just to reiterate, you know, I. Mumblecore always seemed like something that I was always expecting to be better or I was always hoping would inspire me. I always had this air of like this something that talentless rich kids would do uh, on a lark and it didn't matter if they made something particularly good or particularly bad. It, you know, very often it was bad and there was just a market for it for a few years. And, you know, I've seen, a f- I've seen, a, I, I, I went through a period where I was trying to really like understand what this scene was and i saw so many things that just were dispiriting i was really moved by this film so christmas again it stars it's it's about uh, this guy named noel who's from upstate new york who spends the month of december uh, working out of a van parked in uh, somewhere in brooklyn selling christmas trees to people and it it's a very melancholy film there's not a lot of exposition um, but uh, you slowly kind of get the idea that this this guy who's working by himself, he's working nights. He's working around all these Christmas lights and with all this Christmas music playing in the background, but he's kind of sad. And, you know, he's, you slowly understand a little bit more about his his deal. And, you know, he got broken up on. The, the whole film uh, kind of is on the shoulders of its lead actor. Kentucker Oddly is the actor's name. And he he's a, he's an interesting screen presence. I think there is sort of a a, a weariness um, that um, the role. If I'm going to be ungenerous for a moment, I'm going to say there's a weariness to the role that that, that I felt should have been there that wasn't. And I think it was you know maybe it's my own 
preconceptions about mumble the mumblecore scene, but I think that yeah, it, he he was supposed to feel his collar was supposed to feel a lot more blue than it, it did. He he seemed like very at home in a, a Brooklyn setting, and and um, he he blended in a little too well with with the space maybe, but. I don't know. I, I've watched this movie twice. I think that maybe is is a bit trite of an observation. It, you know, the whole film's kind of like on, the camera's on him the whole time. So maybe I'm just looking for stuff that's not there. But there's also just like a really good focus on um, the sort of work that he's doing. And I think that's what kind of carries it is that, is that it really is about this guy who's um, uh, trying to get through this job. And sort of what's antagonizing him is that, that he is feeling ennui he's feeling lonely and he's surrounded by all these people who are you know trying to have a good time and you know trying to get this holiday spirit and you know so so there's a lot of alienation there you know the film sets its sights on very tangible subjects and it, for the most part it gets it very well and some of the um there, there's some like stuff happens you know there's there's some uh, tensions there he he gets to know some of the people in in his general area you know it's i don't think giving talking about the the plot does it too much of a service outside of what i already shared i will say that i, I was pleasantly surprised there were scenes that kind of had like a weird tension to them and and the movie would kind of like let those scenes pass and then they wouldn't address what that tension was right away and then there would be payoff by the end Oddly, this was one of the films I enjoyed the most that I watched for this episode. So without further ado, um, let's just jump right in. So 2015's The Spirit of Christmas looms large in my head as an iconic example of something I've struggled to articulate about holiday movies for a while. Revisiting it for this episode, I've realized that this story of a Boston executor trying to flip a New England inn uh, the week before Christmas uh, and ends up falling in love with a Prohibition-era ghost is a great articulation of how chintzy these Christmas movies can be. I'm joined to discuss this uh, once again is uh, Olivia and my sister Megan Carroll. Hi, everyone. Hi. Hi. Merry Christmas. I want to know why you think this movie is chintzy. What does that word mean to you? So I actually I, I looked it up. It's like it's like a uh, it, it comes from India. It's like a like a it's a type of cloth that like is like made to look nicer than it is, and like it doesn't like it's putting on. Uh, the production values of it are are threadbare, and it it shows itself. It, it's clear watching it that this is like a movie that's like threadbare productions. It sort of doesn't, as opposed to like a lot of like comedies or other like lo-fi movies. Like it doesn't invite you to kind of like think about that, but it's there and it doesn't apologize for it in a way that I kind of appreciate. <laughs> It's an ambitious film, and that's one of the other things I should say that I really like about it. Like it, it's a murder mystery ghost story christmas romance film yeah it's four genres it's yeah there's a lot going on <laughs> it's everything you could want in a christmas story you've got you know a haunted house a horny ghost and a disappointed man that's great <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot here it takes place between two eras neither every time it tries to megan you took notes right notes yet uh, too many notes i can't even get my jokes out it's horrible <laughs> <laughs> well come on pick it up all right i'm gonna start with this 
You're right. It's a little see-through at times. Um, like, for example, the love interest from the Prohibition era, her name is Lily. The lady yeah. in Boston present day is named Jen Lily. Okay. But yeah, she, and then she's like this, like kind of, kind of subduedly hot lady with like balls. And she's like, not will, she's a tough worker and had a bad childhood. So that's right there. You're like, yes. And then yeah. uh, that's an essential Christmas. Yeah. She, she's cool. career driven. There's mm -hmm. uh, she gets broken up on, but she's happy. Cause like now she can focus on work. Yeah, and she's like, I get it. I'm broken. Ha, ha, ha. Can I eat your dinner? It's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Then, I love that scene. That's, that's amazing. What a great yeah. opening. Yeah. Yeah. So when I'm watching, I watched it on, on Amazon. Sorry, I'm not sure if you're against this uh, marketing stuff, but I watched yeah. it and it said, warning, moderate violence and mild sexuality. And I feel like that could be the subtitle to the whole movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this is funny uh yeah so and then the opening scene it looks like this guy is coming out of the woods and his name is daniel and all i have to say is damn daniel he's very attractive um and he's walking out of the woods and then he sees his love interest or whatever you can tell he's his lily. prohibition love interest his prohibition love thank you his prohibition love interest he goes lily he sees her with some other guy and then he it looks like he actually dies of disappointment. Like she broke his heart and killed him right then and there. That's what I, that's how I took it. And I was like, man, I would, I've always wanted that power to like kill a man. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, maybe I have it. I don't know. Maybe I've done it. Who knows? But that's I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know unless you did it 12 days before Christmas. So then you come <laughs> yeah. back and haunt the same inn. I know, but I'd have to wait 95 years apparently. But no, I'm see, that's, that's why it's just not worth it. I actually really feel bad for Lily. Yeah. Oh yeah, Lily was She's getting the short end of the stick in this movie. Sure. And yeah. Sorry. I don't know. There's not much to like um Yeah, exactly. There's not that much to say because the the movie focuses so much on uh Daniel. Wait, can like, we do spoilers? Yeah, the okay. spoilers, yeah. Okay, so all she did was try to make her soon-to-be husband not leave her pregnant and alone on Christmas. <laughs> and then he dies because of his stupid bad decisions. Yep. And then he gets to spend 12 days being alive again while she gets yep. stuck as just a regular boring ghost. Yeah. And in the end of the story... <laughs> He gets to go off and have a new love, and she just ends up being a ghost forever. So backing up, for people who, so just broadly, this woman comes from Boston, uh, this career-driven, modern-day woman comes to Boston. They they get to know each other. Well, it's a weird meet-cute, right? I mean, like, he's not really a ghost. He's a reincarnated person for 12 days. He's just yeah. a guy like, like who he's just like, like corporeal. dressed up yeah. in like a like vest and a, and a okay, tie. He looks like an Abercrombie and Fitch model. Sort of, but, but like, yeah, like, like there's like, Abercrombie and Fitch model. I was going to say like, m one of my notes was that there was like this mid 2010s, like old timey hipster thing that he yeah. like, that like really, he like articulates uh, uh, in an interesting way. But it, like, that was when steampunk was kind of a thing. And like, you know, the haircut is like, kind of, you know, he's quasi proud boy. You don't know, you're like, if you, you know, met this guy now, you would think like, oh yeah, he's probably like MAGA. Yeah. But then like also, <laughs> it's old timey in this way that like always feels like it's wrong. Like I'm going to drink whiskey out of a wine glass because that's like sophisticated. Yeah. You know? like, problem. Yeah. yeah, there's, that's a problematic situation. And the meat cute is interesting because they have 
suspenseful music. So you're like, is he going to kill her or what's going to happen here? And that's how they meet. <laughs> and also, the head with the vase. No, no, that's, no, no, no. She, he scared her when he appears in the middle of the night in yeah. the thing that she thought she was alone in. And then she hits um, some piece of furniture that has oh, based on it. And okay. so, I was looking at my phone. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and, that, and that's, no, but that's exactly it. One of the things about these movies is that they're designed to like, you can just kind of be on your phone yeah. while you're watching I think they it were designed the for you to have on while you wrap your presents. Yeah, that, exactly. While your children are at school. Yeah, it's like a tone. Yeah. Like, like I took a phone call during it. I'm not going to lie. That's why we're relying on you to take notes. Okay, yeah. so what else? What else? Well, and so she's coming out of bed and I'm like, okay, this is what I think. This is why I always wear a bra to bed. I know at some point in my life, a ghost is going to come out of nowhere and he's <laughs> going to be very attractive and I'm going to have to be ready on the occasion. So yeah, but no, Daniel's problematic. Don't like him um, only for a couple of reasons. He's just too, he's too good looking. I don't, I think they should have had an uglier ghost, honestly. And then here comes the crazy part for me. She calls the sheriff the sheriff knocks on the door and I'm like, who the hell is this guy? I know him. Guess what? He's like an acting teacher from Boston. Oh. That's like Bates Wilder. I was like, what the hell? I know this guy. So oh. everything was filmed in Rentham. Where, where's Rentham? Uh, it's like near the Cape maybe. There's a, there's a giant outlet mall in Rentham. Okay. Uh, so, oh, so this is actually like a, a Massachusetts production. Well, where's so the- So wait, do people in Massachusetts think Boston is a big city. Yes. Big time. <laughs> it's a, they think it's the biggest city. They think it's, it's the, the only city, city that matters. It's like the world. Just checking because this whole big city like versus like country New England thing was yeah. Yeah. I guess very LA to me but yeah. <laughs> very LA. What, is, what do you like, mean? Like people in LA don't actually have any sense of how close or far oh, away. Yeah. 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 yeah and, there's Boston then not Boston. That's basically New England. Right, there's like the, yeah, but then anything after 495, you're like, huh? Huh? So, um, so Bates Wilder, he's basically telling her she's crazy, because, you know, <laughs> just be crazy sometimes, and she's like, no, I think I know that there's a real person here, and so then that, that gets introduced. Here's another thing I want to introduce, though, about Lilia. Sorry, Olivia, I need to backtrack. Basically, this whole time, we think, and Daniel thinks and says, that Lilia is some kind of whore who betrayed him. And so I do feel bad for Lily, the, the, the Prohibition era girlfriend, because at the end, she's just like, her baby daddy goes off with some other lady. It's just crazy. Yeah, again, he, he has like proto-MAGA vibes, you know? Right. Like, I mean, but to be honest, though, Michael, I mean- I, I mean, it doesn't make sense that Kate would fall for her. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yes, yes. I think I can fix yeah, it. Like, what I was looking for was somebody from the Prohibition without like- yeah, who like throws me over his shoulder after he kind of knocks a vase on my head. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, though, I would never give up like doing it with a ghost for sure. <laughs> question, but, um, let me see. So we get the innkeeper and uh, he's kind of like this, like he's like pretty submissive to the ghost. And he's like, I'm, I can't hang here. And, uh, and you shouldn't either to Kate, who's like, no, I'm a tough lady. I'm um, Harry. Wait, no, all right, okay, let's stop. The, 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 the modern day innkeeper's name is Harry, and he has a subplot that comes in, really doesn't come in until the last 30 minutes of the movie, 
with the other right. like tertiary character named Molly. Yeah, I don't even know. Yeah, actually, might be either if they're Walter. His name was Walter. Walter. Harry's another guy. Walter, <laughs> yes, Walter. I'm sorry, Harry's his cousin. Uh this this movie's too complicated. But uh, you know, uh, who is again, Laird? <laughs> we're looking. Named Laird. Yeah. And Oliver, who are these people? <laughs> Oliver is Oliver's Kate's boss. And Kate's boss is like so funny and dry. And he's basically saying, Kate, I'm promoting you because you make my life easier. And I have visions of the Bahamas dancing in my head. He had some really good one-liners in there. And basically he's pressuring Kate to get the deal done. Meanwhile, Kate falls in love with a ghost. Then she has to make a decision at the end. Does she choose her career or does she choose love? We all know what's going to happen. We all know. It's a Christmas movie. And it's also, it's a Christmas movie. There we go. So she chooses love, but... I want to talk about something else really fast. I want a movie about the lady who writes these movies, okay? Her name is Tracy Andreen. And if you look her up, she's the writer. She's written like a hundred of these Christmas movies. The the way that these movies get kind of like churned out, it, it's basically a, a TV series with I'm like a rotating cast. her entire filmography. Yeah, for sure. And I want to talk to her. See what her. I mean, I feel like this is a qual. Like I've watched a lot of this type of movie, and mm-hmm. there's like a quality here that's not in the other ones. Why do we? I remember when we first saw this two years ago. We were just like binging Christmas movies on the iPad, and we watched this, and then immediately we we went to um, the holiday with Cameron Diaz and Kate Winslet and Jude Law, and um, uh, I would say equal quality. Real. I would say this is so much more fun oh yeah you yeah, know this is like, a better movie it's a better movie like it doesn't have you know with, with just like you know a pittance you know of of the of of the budget you know and the production quality and everything it's just got way more imagination mm-hmm. yeah and it's it's hungrier you know like like i don't know i, I want to back up a second why why are all these films about career mm, well i don't know okay dead end. <laughs> <laughs> they're all the same like female lead where she has is like bad at love she is blinded by career or she has like she's either like she's like an executive she works at like a publishing she's house. At a crossroads. yeah she and oh. she either loves christmas or hates christmas and there's always a deadline and then she always picks the guy and like we said daniel um he's very attractive but he is no prize i mean even <laughs> when he was like seducing her he was like it was really kind of scary like i don't know even when you're seducing the, 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 the script had a very like I'm trying to write old timey, but I'm not going to do any research into what <laughs> yeah, that means. Yeah, so like, like it almost feels like it dips into like Shakespearean, you know? Uh, yeah, like he started just basically. They were like, just talk like a theater nerd would if yeah. you were trying to be an yeah. old guy. And he's like, okay, I'll just be a condescending douche. And it's like, okay, yeah. it works. So, and it and it hits the gas on that stuff. I feel like that's what that's one of the things I like about this film is that like that stuff's always in the ether. And this film, like, because it kind of bit off maybe more than it could chew, it kind of showed, like, you know, like, uh, yeah, that quality of it, you know, got really emphasized. And then the other story in here is that the, so murder, we're trying mystery. To, the murder mystery. So I guess he doesn't die of disappointment, which I was disappointed about, but he doesn't die from that. Yeah. So so now we're trying to figure out the mystery of who actually, how did he die? So yeah, because he he's been popping up in this inn for twelve days uh, every year, and he doesn't know, and he doesn't seem to be very interested because he's got like a field of dreams kind of uh, curse, and yes. he can't leave. Yeah, and good good call. And he's saying like, she's like, well, don't you want to cross over? And he's like, more than you know. But it, 
I didn't. But then he doesn't want to. Yeah, but he takes no effort. Because he doesn't want to deal with his, like, he, that would require him unpacking his trauma. I think that's what it was. Yeah. I do believe that a certain kind of men will do anything to not have to deal with <laughs> Yeah. And that's Daniel. Yeah. And, that, and that's Kate's type, which makes sense, like we said. So, so we get interested and we learn that Harry's the cousin, right? And Harry's the good guy because Harry was, like, helping Daniel. And then fucking Charles, his brother, wanted to sell the inn and take the girl. Really? Yeah. And it was, and so he was mad about that. He was like, you know what? Screw these guys. Okay. Here, here's where the twist comes in at the end. It wasn't Charles who he thought might have killed him. It was uh, Harry, the cousin. Well, you would just think that after 94 years of yeah. reliving the same memory over and over and over again, he would realize that he died like looking at his brother. So there's no way his brother could have killed him. Yeah, and I think he even said he didn't remember, and this was, like, the first time Kate was the one who, like, unlocked that door for him, which also felt annoying about him. Like, he just didn't do the work, and now all of a sudden, he's just some horny ghost walking around trying to, like, I don't know, save Christmas for her? I don't know, but... Yeah, there's... Yeah, there's kind of about an invisible labor. There's, yeah. There's, <laughs> there's kind of this exciting plot twist, like, halfway through when, like, another ghost appears, and... um it's the funniest thing because like for a minute there is some like suspense you know for the yeah. first time since since he since the our, our ghost daniel first very appears. loud music yeah and and, and then it just kind of stopped and, and like everything kind of gets resolved in this very uh civil way where everyone just needs to be in the same room together talking mm -hmm. things out it's it's like uh, like i said it's a movie that swings for the fences with its scope but it really is just like people in rooms just talking like there's not like a lot of like yeah well when your ghost can't leave the property line <laughs> you can't have that much um look uh, uh is this film better than terminator 2 i would say no no of course not I mean, absolutely not i mean i feel like it's like it takes a solid swing at it yeah it's a respectable yeah. try yeah it's, it's pushing way above its weight yeah, I mean, and I think both of the lead male characters are both like you would think, you would assume they were MAGAs, but I hope they're not. You know what I mean? So. I, I hope that about all people if, yeah. <laughs> at all times. Guys, if you're, if you're, if you're Googling your names and, you know, uh, you come across this podcast, let us know. I'll be happy to shout out in a future episode. We'll t we'll and if you are MAGAs, let us you, know. That you're not a problem. Or, yeah. or you are. Let us know. Megan, any, did you have any last thoughts? Yeah, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Imagine, if you will, a diehard ripoff set entirely in a mall, starring Dean Cain instead of Bruce Willis and Eric Roberts instead of Alan Rickman. Made for TBS in 2002, we are talking about Christmas Rush, a.k.a. Breakaway, and with me is Peter Jabinski and Victor Mako. Hello, how are you guys? Hey, Mike. Hey.
Die Hard's a movie that looms large over like uh, when we think of Christmas movies for a certain type of like uh, people who like uh, Christmas movies or actually it's sort of like the Christmas movie for people who don't like Christmas movies, right? Like that's like the, the snide remark is just like, oh, I'm just going to watch fucking Die Hard. And yet, even though it's got all those sequels, like as a Christmas movie, there isn't much of like a legacy there. Like, Die Hard 2 takes place in Christmas. Someone help me out there. Yeah. The, yeah. It's the one year anniversary or something along those lines. Yeah. You know, I looked up uh, different Christmas action movies and there, you know, the, besides Die Hard and there wasn't much. And that's when I stumbled upon this. What a time. What a place. Did you yeah, guys... I, I think your um, I think your intro is perfect. Imagine if you will. Uh, die hard if the creators had serious contempt for you and <laughs> like a, a deep hatred uh, for the people that were going to watch it. it. It was, and I feel like this is my own doing because I requested a die hard type movie. Yeah. But I didn't know, Mike, that you wanted to like steer it a little bit more towards like, like the bad. A flaming bag of poo. Yeah, it was <laughs> offensive on so many levels. Did anybody have the have some positive experience with it? Yeah, I, I actually, I think I did. I, I think that it, I, I enjoyed it. Are you sure about that? I think that it very much is a, the, it, it's a journey into the mind of like a, a Chicago shit. cop of that time. It's impressive that you can do this. Go ahead. <laughs> I want to see you do this. Stick the landing. It's a journey. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm fully no like like there are two there are two things I think we're actually like really like I'll say strong about the film. One of them is that like it it, it does kind of like hold on to its like movies that it loves like really deeply. Like so yeah, Dean Kane um, is a fucking cop and he's going to uh, he got into a fight with his wife and he um, goes into uh, to pick her up on Christmas Eve. She works at a mall. And uh, the Scalzetti, Eric Roberts's character, has a team of goons that uh, are robbing all the money from the mall, which is all centrally located in one place. And Dean Cain just stops everything to fight the bad guys. It was the perfect crime. It was the perfect so, crime. But, right, but, actually, but, but that's then, not even actually where it starts. It starts with him. Th- this is really where, where you know it's good. Yeah, it starts it with him doing a shootout in Chinatown he does everything right but then some like civilian gets like caught in the crossfire or something and he's like a connected politician so even though dean kane's a good cop he has to suffer for this so it sets like a melancholy like mood which i think is like kind of key to like the first act of a christmas movie but all in like a grieved cop lingo uh his wife's like well, look, maybe we can send our kids to public school. And he's like, public school? What? No, what? You know, like, I don't like it, you know, but it was just like, it was breezy. And, you know, it was like honest. It was like unguarded. Peter, how did you feel about this film? Yeah, Peter's been trying to jump in and you've been clearly waving yeah. your hands. No silence, demanding yeah. everyone's full attention. Yeah, uh, which is much appreciated. Thank you so much. Um, so, well, there are two things about this movie that I kind of keep coming back to. One is this is definitely Eric Roberts's movie. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, like no one, no one else really comes close. And then two is like how, um, how kind of like the movie tries its hardest to kind of 
end up as like a conservative Christian parable. Thank you, God. Um, like I'm thinking of like when um, Erica, who plays Cat Morgan. Yeah, Erica or, Ellen Elaniak from Under Siege. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When um, she's sitting with a few of the other hostages in the back, like security room of the mall or something, and she's like, "Let's talk about your favorite Christmas stories and whatever." And she like runs around uh, everyone, and then like the the lead security guard, uh, she's like, "What's your favorite Christmas memory?" And he's like, "Yeah, I'm a Muslim." Um, yeah. and, and she doesn't like, she does nothing with that at okay. all. She just like, yeah. yeah, she's like, cool. So, uh, Donnie, what's your favorite Christmas memory? And it's just like, why was this filmed? Yeah. What have you done? <laughs> Dean Kane really makes you appreciate Bruce Willis. Um, <laughs> in this movie because he, he, he has all the like snide, like he gets all these snide, like, Hey, happy holidays. It's not politically correct to say Merry Christmas anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it's overwhelmingly conservative. And for Michael, for you to paint a picture without talking about how they did it, I know your audience skews all right, uh, <laughs> harshly, but, you know, for, for the average listener who might be somewhat more uh, centrist or to the left, it's important to put it out. This movie had such a hilarious agenda on TBS to insert crucifixes and politically correct, like griping, that I realized we have so much goodwill put into the diehard genre of like Christmas terrorist, like attack movie. <laughs> like there's so much love there that they really had to go pretty hardcore to make me want to vomit. But at every turn, they remind you uh, Dean Cain really inserts his politics into it. He really reminds you that, hey, it's not okay to uh, to uh, say happy holidays or say Merry Christmas anymore because these uh, uh, these liberals want their, you know, happy holidays and their kids to get bone marrow transplant. <laughs> yeah. You're being way too overt. He just, he's all, yeah. Well, that, that gets into the end, which, okay, so, so, that's Again, the beginning. There, there's severe illness yeah. because yeah. Eric Roberts is not able to pay Eric for his kids. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Eric Roberts is a great presence because he's not, he, he's actually like given, he, that's where it differs from Die Hard. Eric Roberts is bad guy. Yeah, he's taking care of his son who needs a bone marrow transplant and he needs a quarter of a million dollars in order right, to- Right, which is why this robbery is happening in the first place. Which is the whole right? reason. <laughs> and Dean I feel knows like we this. should all- be rooting for Eric Roberts. Yeah, I think yeah. in two thousand and two, yes. they, they were pre uh, previewing. Health insurance what, like was a, so good. Or, yeah. yeah, they were like preempting like a, a Bernie Sanders run. <laughs> they were like, they were like, all right, if you want your health insurance and like to be able to vote if you're a yeah. convict, it'll cost you. Yeah. So here's the other, the second thing I was going to say that I really liked that, that made this film stand out for me was the, it really, it's obviously diehard. Um, but there are a couple of other influences. There's weirdly a shootout where like in an, uh, in like a TV center where like Desperado's just playing in the background, whoever made this, they really like wore what they loved on their sleeve. They get out of the mall. 
via dune buggies. A dune, there's a dune buggy chase in this. Which is uh, amazing. And, yeah, that, that was when the film really like, kind of like popped for me. That was when I was like, okay, let's see where we're going with this. Weirdly, okay, so then it, it like Eric Roberts, Scalzetti's henchmen all get taken down one by one. It ends up how anything like this would, the bad guy has the good guy's wife and they're chasing, the, they're being chased through the sewers. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, but the, the death of Scalzetti there was straight up the third man. It, like Carol reads the third man. Are you guys familiar with it? Yeah, it's been a few years since I watched it, but I like, I get what you're going for, I think. Right. I mean, like, just visually, like, like just the shots of the tunnels and then uh, mm-hmm. Harry Lyme, Orson Welles' character, dies the same way. He goes uh, up a ladder and there's a shot of his fingers and his, just for a moment, his fingers get the freedom that he's yearning for, but he can't make it and he falls down dead. And yet what's weird is that Harry Lyme, the, the character who, di- who dies at the end of The Third Man, he gets, he's someone who, like, his whole plot is he's, like... Um, selling fake penicillin to children so he's poisoning kids and now eric roberts is trying to help a kid um right and it's still capitalism crushing down on him yeah and, uh, and just like and destroying his possibility of a happy life um, well and also like i i feel like you should be if you're at all human you should be rooting for Eric Roberts. And so basically, Dean Kane is a monster. Yes. <laughs> he knows what he's doing in context that he w- is shooting people to stop them from stealing money that is insured. Yeah. And if we can go back to the beginning, because I kind of, again, I know you don't see race. Uh, but the shootout at the beginning was really important because it was in Chinatown and it was all Asian (laughs) people. Yes. He shot the shit out of everyone and accidentally killed an innocent Asian person. And the the gripe is that at the end, he was like, hey, all I was doing is kicking some ass. And apparently this one Asian guy has got all this clout. He says he's got more clout than I do. And that's when I knew I was like, oh, we're entering a really strange political... (laughs) <laughs> uh, bizarro world there's um, a weird there's a weird subset of christmas movies uh that just are all grievance driven like and and you know this was a good opportunity to touch on that without like actually watching the ones where it's like the one liberal in town who's the mayor tells them to take down the like christmas decorations i thought about watching one of those but this I got, I got what I want from that with this. So I mean, was... we can tell your agenda and yeah. you succeeded yeah. in like sneaking this in under my radar. <laughs> it really passes every <laughs> hurdle in 2020 with police brutality. <laughs> it, it's so fantastic for that reason. And he yeah. talks to his wife and this is how you know he's a good guy. He talks to his wife and he's like, anyway, what can you do? Uh, they're suing me now. And uh, she's like, this isn't, this isn't a time for jokes. And he's like, no, babe, it's a real, I think it's a real thigh slapper. Don't be stupid. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> because you have to talk to, to, to your wife, who is hilariously blonde and big breasted. Yes. And every opportunity they put her like in a sweatshirt or a turtleneck or like, it is the, her, her, the cross that she wears on her chest, like you know, like a it, glistening, like... sparkling crucifix <laughs> yeah. that they keep on doing 
she, uh, she's fuzzy, constantly soft focus close-ups of yeah clutching it uh in fear yeah they're like we need more vaseline on the lens for this crucifix <laughs> sparkly shot what a lovely fantasy that like um yeah that like it, that's it is kind of a nice world to live in this thought that like a shootout like that could happen and like the police officers involved would feel like oh you know like a little hot under yeah, the collar because the <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a uh, chicago which they really in case you ever forgot that you were in chicago they would have like some terrible accented like blue collar <laughs> guy say hey like his partner is like this was the perfect crime until you ruined it. E. This, this was just uh, Scalzetti. I had tickets to the Cubs. Uh, I, I, I'm doing. I'm just doing Italian now. I, I think one thing to go back to was that if you boil this movie down, you have a protagonist that is very similar to the antagonist. They're both family men. They're both experiencing financial. Uh, problems there's like a history of corruption and dean kane's like father he's a crooked cop or yeah we alluded to something along those lines they both have families but listen there's a right way and a wrong way to be an american in chicago all right <laughs> you can be a piece of crap and want the government to pay for your kids bone marrow transplant you like a real piece of shit or right you can pray to the good baby jesus hold on to your crucifix and hold hands with your big titted blonde wife. And maybe just maybe the city will realize that you are the victim and give you $200,000. Thank you. Police unions. Oh man. That I, was a good uh, accent. Yeah. That's not bad. The bears. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, it, it really is that. And at every turn he's like, yeah, this is a fucked up system. I shouldn't be a part of this. Even his partner's like, Hey man, can you please yeah. not like ruin all our lives? We're all poor and we're just trying to get by. And he's like, no. Oof. Yeah. I forgot about his like crooked father um, in this whole rigmarole. Um, I don't think there's really any reason uh, to root for Dean Kane at all, period. Um, he doesn't exude a lot of warmth. I mean, like, like no. I was trying to get to, like, he makes you appreciate. It makes you. It makes I mean, you he makes you appreciate Eric Roberts quite a bit. Do you guys? Do you guys feel like watching Die Hard now more or less? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm a little scarred. I feel like they really knew what I wanted and what my heart needed, and they used that against me. It, they really hurt me for wanting to invest in this movie. I really thought Eric Roberts was charismatic. I was like. I told you, Mike, when we first started watching it, I was like, oh, I can see how this is a good lead into his character in The Dark Knight. I, I can see that he's a talented man, but they just fart in the room every time you get comfortable until like, like all right, someone's gonna open a window at some point, but they double down and they never open a window. It's, it's mean spirited and I don't know what to do with it. Peter, any last thoughts? Uh, I mean, I feel like I wanna wash my mouth out uh, with a little bit of Die Hard, right? So just to kind of like clear, clear my uh, my taste buds. Um, obviously, this is far superior than Terminator Two in every regard. <laughs> yeah, sure, looks. buddy. I'm getting some looks, yes. Yeah, now, I'm, I'm. I don't know if it can. I feel like it's disrespectful to use it in the same sentence. Yes. 
as Terminator. Uh, guys, I'm uh, I'm very grateful as always for you to come on and um, happy holidays and um, uh, hasta la vista. Finally, a film which tackles the age-old question, what if you are a neurotic but generically pretty woman who is ordered to go on a date while your co-workers and mom listened in and participated? And also, what if it was copaganda? Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about A Christmas Catch with Anastasia Yusinowitz, Caroline DeBevick, and returning once again, uh, my wife, Olivia. Hi, everybody. Hello. Hello. So um, I got a lot of texts from uh, you guys uh, uh, who I didn't see this movie with, with, with some constructive feedback. I don't think you were very enthusiastic about this film, were you? I thought it was going to be about fishing. Oh, that would have been fun. Oh. That was my guess. Even though Olivia told me and I forgot it because I didn't want to remember that fact about the movie. So I was, like, I was trying to establish it in the opening credits and then it was a real bummer. Oh yeah, I I figured it was a cop movie, but it was so bad. <laughs> Anyways, what? Did you find it funny? Did you guys laugh? I was saddened to hear that you guys didn't like it because like for, for what it is, which is crap, captured my attention for more than a lot of these movies can. Better, it did a better job capturing my attention than a lot of these other movies have been able to. And it was self-aware uh, in, in a way that better than a lot of the other like knowing, winking Christmas movies are. I think that it really wishes it had like a pinch of the joy that like Brooklyn Nine-Nine can bring. Like I think it really wanted that energy and does not achieve it in any way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought that some of it was fun. Like the date at the restaurant. (laughs) But most of it was just like me laughing at how this guy is like pretending that she's not a cop. (laughs) (laughs) Like what I felt like the whole time. Like how does, how would he know that? How wouldn't he know that she's a cop? You know? I, one of the notes that I wrote is I would love to have this job. Do you think I could make more money doing this than I currently do because I think I have the same amount of acting and writing skills to be on either side of the camera for these movies. Yeah, that's <laughs> so painful. I like about these. <laughs> oh, so bad. So hard to watch. Honestly, I think this is... <laughs> I don't have a lot to compare it to. I've never seen one of these before. You're, you're not inclined towards these uh, shitty Christmas movies in the first place. I mean, I hate Christmas. I think, uh, our bar, I think our bar is much lower for movies because this is like the 18th one of these movies we watched. <laughs> <laughs> I felt either like insane with rage at how bad it was and then it was either that or feeling like this is like a muscle relaxer for my brain. Like I can yeah. do it forever. But it was like every two minutes it changed. <laughs> yeah, that second part is the vibe they're going for. <laughs> <laughs> But again, like, okay, no, let's, 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 if this film had the production values of like a Bridesmaids and it was the same cast and it was, you know, um, 
yeah, like the the script was allowed to sit in the oven. I mean, I, I maybe I'm just being like too generous. They did I think that there was, after on the script. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like there there are so many funny things here where like the so there there's this meet cute. Was it at the meet cute when like when the cop meets this guy who's like the perfect guy for her a dream date, and then it turns out that he's a suspect in a federal investigation, and so. Her boss, um, who's also her mom, orders her to go on a date with this guy, which is a great premise. You, you, <laughs> I lost track. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, we take the same premise and like put it in like an actual like A list Hollywood production. I I think it I think it matches up to like you know it could match up to something like that. It's hard to tell, but you know. I mean, with, like, maybe better actors and, like, a cleaned-up script, it would be, like, better. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, ideally, we would be watching people with actual chemistry. Like, I don't even care if the acting's bad, but, A, they were all so hideous to me, except for her best friend. Um, Which best friend? Because there there are a few best friends here. Her partner? Her cop partner. Yeah. Which, literally, there is no explanation about why... Like, it's great that you can be friends, men and women friends or whatever, but, like, why wouldn't... He was so hot and handsome and, like... They liked each other. And they liked each other. They were the only people with something close to chemistry. Yeah. And... I thought they were going to date. Yeah, I thought that that was going to be the twist. Like, oh, he was right here all along. See? We should write it. (laughs) You guys could do this. That's what I love about you could do this. I mean, like, you know, like... I fully feel I could have written this. It would be about of this quality, right? Like, I mean, compliments. We looked at. I, I threw a couple of trailers. This was the movie that you said. Oh yeah, let's do that. Yeah, because it has the guy from Gilmore Girls in it. Yeah. Important. Yeah. So that's literally, the reason I picked this movie. Yannick Truesdale. Yeah, because I just wanted to see him. Is this his real voice in this movie? We, I was asking myself that whole he's, the whole time. He's French Canadian. Oh, Canadian! Question: <laughs> Canadian. Yeah. They're all Canadian. They're all so Canadian except actually, for um, Lauren Holly. Uh, I did think so. The main thing, non-romantic part of the plot, is about a diamond heist gone wrong kind of thing, and it reminded me of one of my favorite movies of all time that does this plot so much better and is also gay, and that's Deb's Caroline, right? Yeah, that's a good one. It is about a diamond thief named Lucy Diamond, who is a diamond thief and is thwarted in her plans by these girls who are spies? Yeah. (laughs) Schoolgirl spies of indeterminate age, but legal for sure. Um, and then they fall in love, and the good girl has to quit her good girl job to be a diamond girlfriend, and the diamond I, quits her job as a diamond thief. Yeah, I wish that had been the ending. I also didn't understand why they needed to have the FBI plot line at all. Yeah, I mean, the whole, there, there's, there's another scene where um, there's, there's this whole subplot of, like, some henchmen that the FBI agent slash, like, ex-girlfriend slash evil boss uh criminal mastermind has which i I think i was on my phone the whole time i just was like glazed over for but yeah again and we said this about the spirit of christmas when we talked to megan i mean like i think these movies are kind of designed for you to be like on your phone like you know kind of catching it 
in bits and pieces. But yeah. also it to be like wrapping presents or baking cookies or something. Mm, exactly. That makes yeah. sense. But They're also, not, like most TV is designed to do. <laughs> so I it's did. like, you know, sorry, what were you saying? Nothing. No. <laughs> no, we just we we gave it. We were generous enough to give it our full attention while watching, and it um, <laughs> no, that's, neither wants nor deserves. That's not, I sorry. I should have been clearer about. That. <laughs> I did fall asleep and then just rewatched the last 20 minutes. The worst before. part. Yeah, the it's worst. On and on and on. I, there's like a sudden tone shift in like the last five minutes that I love where it's just like, like the, the goofy looking like rooster man is like lying on the floor. On like, the floor for- Under a Christmas tree. <laughs> for so long. Like even yeah. when things are fine, he's still laying down. Like, and yeah, how we got drawn. there. And like, then he's like, moved out somehow and then like laying in an ambulance. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I also did a little research on him because I was trying to figure out if like I was curious if any of them had ever acted before except for Michelle obviously but uh and I've seen him before and it's in the show Letter Canny which is another Canadian show that's so delightful and he's in it for like two episodes as a really stupid hot guy and he does a lot better in it. He says less. Oh, and just takes his shirt off a lot, but yeah. So I think he can. He maybe could. He can't take his little, shirt off. He yeah, he could. Have, yeah. Did they even kiss in this movie? At the very end, in the, the ambulance, watched it. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, "Your girlfriend, this. My girlfriend, then." So they went on one date and have not touched each other in any way. Although oh. her mom wanted her to fuck. <laughs> so weird. So um, weird and stressful. Um, I love that. Like anytime that he complimented her, he was like, "You love Christmas and eighties movies. You love Christmas like those other girls and my cooking. Wow, this is meant to be." Also, he ordered at the coffee shop um, the most, I think, like psychopath order, which is single hot coffee black a lot John Mulaney's dad cruel unusual terrifying <laughs> like I liked that Michelle made him a different drink though that was important. Yeah, I, I was, was, I was the nicest touch in the movie yeah <laughs> they like, put a lot of work into like the like um the drinks which you know, <laughs> yes they did like, all the places to like put like yeah. art direction because everything else feels like and not into the radio. It's not like it's not like a West Elm catalog. What kind of catalog were they going for when they were designing? Like a Kmart Home Goods. Maybe a Crate and Barrel catalog. Yeah. yeah, but that's I, that's I think I, what I was trying to get at earlier was that like a lot of these things just feel like they're like trying to like create those um, those feelings of those catalogs when you're in their like spacious homes, and that's really interesting to me. I'm trying to think about why they put all that effort into that. Because they don't put that effort into a lot of other things. Like, what is the engine that drives these films, you know? She also wore so many shorts overall outfits, which were never appropriate for the season that it's supposed to be. Or, like, what she's doing. She wore one to work. To work! And it was, they're short, short shorts. With, like, a weird business jacket over it, but it was overalls. And then Can she was like, I have to change. I don't think, I didn't know I would be going on a date tonight. 
But they wait. Like, got, that, was that was the joke. Like, they were like, "You're wearing overalls right now." Like, <laughs> um, so and if they could bug his house, why did they need her to fake date him? <laughs> right. <laughs> also, if the, the to not to tell his new girlfriend that he stole diamonds. <laughs> and the ex-girlfriend ex-wife undercover fbi lady she knew where the ranger was the whole time so again why why because they're reverse engineering a trailer where, <laughs> where no seriously i think it's like they're reverse engineering a trailer where it's like you know what if your mom made you go on a date and she heard everything like that was like <laughs> Yeah, so like it's kind of it's, again. I think it's fun. Like they like have to do. They have to throw this stupid idea out, and then like they have like you know seven days to write a whole screenplay that is just like that. And so you know it's just like you know it's they're just churning these things out. And um, you know it's weird. They're not a movie. They're not movies for us. I don't think. I mean, you know, uh, they're movies for me. They're, well, so, okay, so who are they for? Like, you know, there are some people who like love watching these movies. I, I think I like watching them from afar, although maybe it's just doing this episode and like Stockholm Syndrome and also being married to you for so long. I love the Hallmark Channel. <laughs> yeah. So I, I mean, I could watch a thousand of them, I think. But they're just like generated by like those bingo machines, I think, the plots. <laughs> they just have yeah. a bunch of balls and they're like, it's a cop, uh, Christmas... Yeah, no, Christmas is the starting line. Like, yeah, I guess so. And then just, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like dartboard, just like, well, I guess we're going to go with this <laughs> type of plot. I don't know. Um, what I want to know is how, I don't know very many single straight men who put that much effort into decorating their homes for Christmas, and that would be an enormous red flag. Yeah, or like just that the, the people who appeared at that Christmas singles mixer, which again is a thing that... I think only psychopaths attend, but they were like, they're like, we're handsome young people who definitely have jobs and like look nice and are not like complete terrifying freaks. Because like, who goes to a Christmas singles mixer? The saddest yeah, of I've all. I've never mixer. heard of a singles mixer in real life ever. I also was thinking about that while watching this. That a different version of this kind of movie that I would enjoy would be like a movie about somebody who's like super determined to have a neat cute romance but then ends up falling in love with somebody that she meets in a normal way i.e on tinder um yeah and that like it would be really that would be really fun for me to watch is like turning away real prospect of love with a nice match from but it's from online gross i want to mm -hmm. have i want to have serendipity like they keep fucking saying in this movie and then have mm -hmm. that person be like a serial killer which is what they would be Right. Real life. Yeah, it's not serendipity, it's just a stalker. Right. <laughs> oh wow, we just keep running into each other. I love it. Is, and then that's like a horror movie tone that the movie takes an abrupt shift for and <laughs> then you fall in love in a regular way. With someone that you can vet online. Get on the internet. <laughs> wow, look, they have friends. They exist. Oh my god. Guys, I'm sorry. I feel like um this would have been funner for you guys. No, I had a great time watching it. I just wish I'd watched it not by myself. Yeah. I know. It would have been so I had I think I picked it because I was like, 
the guy from Gilmore Girls is in it, it would be like we were watching it together, you know? <laughs> but some things just can't be recreated on Zoom and watching through. It does, it does make me want to watch more of these kinds of movies. That, that is true. I would like... I would like to have a like baking day and just have these movies on in the back. Like a thousand of them, yeah. Um, uh, uh, no one's going to defend this over Terminator Two. <laughs> no. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys very much. Um, and hasta la vista. So after nearly 20 years of making under-the-radar regional horror comedies in New England, the Motrin Media franchise is now beginning to be recognized outside of Manchester, New Hampshire, for its witty and bizarre series of movies, Freaky Farley, Murder, Monsters, and Marriage in Manch Vegas, and the seminal Don't Let the River Beast Get You Are, Labors of Love, made with an infectious sense of fun. In 2017, the Motrin Troupe produced the Motrin Media Christmas Special, and here to talk about it, is the man behind the whole operation, writer, composer, and leading man, Mr. Matt Farley. Matt, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being here. So this Christmas special, um, uh, I just saw it this holiday season uh, after kind of coming upon your, your work in the last year. I kind of saved the holiday special for, you know, that, right for that this time of the year. It, it's, it's fun. It's fun. Very different from uh, other pieces. It really feels like it's 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 television uh, as opposed to all your other pieces, which you know are out in the field. What was the idea behind the uh, Christmas special? Um. Uh, so, I get we had just released the previous year. We had released Slingshot Cops, which you know, which we were more or less working on from the end of River Beast. Riveries came out in 2012 and that's when we started talking about slingshot cops. And so then it was a four year uh, ordeal to, to complete slingshot cops. And, um, and, you know, my kids were young and, you know, same for like a lot of the people we work with where it's like, it's really hard to ask people to devote several days of, of shooting when we know just how hectic their daily lives are but it's like we still wanted to do something and so i don't know just i i had i had been brainstorming about i wanted to do like a a, a competitor to saturday night live you know i wanted my own called motorn media monthly where just once a month i do a variety show and um and that that was obviously a lot of work too so then it then it it finally got whittled down to let's just do a good old fashioned Christmas special. And the beauty of it is um, we can, we would just spend one weekend working on it, you know, and we'll kind of film it in uh, obviously there's cuts and takes and whatnot, but as tr true to live TV as possible, where we actually get people in my garage, we, we, 
make it seem like a studio and we, we just roll through the script um, as, as quickly as possible. So it was just a matter of doing a fun uh, project that wasn't going to, to kill us uh, in terms of the time we had to put into it. That was shot in your garage. Yeah. Man, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm, I get, I, we were just talking before this, you know, I, I, I'm, I live in Brooklyn now, even though I'm from New England, it, it's, I've been in New York for so long that the idea of shooting, having that space, I thought you were in some sort of small studio or something. I couldn't, I was trying to put my finger on it the whole time I was watching. Yeah. It. And anyone who's seen it and then before coming to my house, you know, they've seen the Christmas special. Then they come and look at the garage and they say, wait, this is where you filmed the Christmas special. <laughs> it's so like, they're like, whoa, it's even smaller than it looks on TV. Like, oh my goodness. So, uh, but uh, yeah, I moved here in 2012, and basically, the as soon as I uh, signed the um, the papers, I, I I was calling Charlie. I'm like, Charlie, I got a I got a two car garage. This is great. If you've seen Slingshot Cops, that's um, the whole police station is just the two car garage too. Yeah, I bought a bunch of really like the cheapest red drapes you could ever find, and like. They were, they only had so many in stock of one shade of red that um, I had, to, and I, they all got delivered and I was like, oh man, there's still exposed walls. So I had to order like a slightly different shade of red. Not that it matters, but I mean, frankly, I'm pretty, um, I'm pretty happy with it. You know, it, it, I think we pulled it off. We fooled you. Yeah. Well, you know, what I like about your movies is having all these people coming in and it's interesting seeing them all in one place at one time. I know you've talked a little bit in the past about the anxiety of like having your friends or family or people you work with coming in and working on your sets, volunteering their time and kind of it feeling a little stressful not knowing how long you're going to have them for because, you know, there's nothing really keeping them. But it's a passion project for you. Here it seemed like, uh, I was wondering what was going through your mind with this one because it seemed like you, you really had everyone together. How long was the production? Um, it was, I mean, all the stuff in the garage, you know, the, in the, the red draped studio was one day. Um, people, I think we had people start showing up around 9.30 or 10 in the morning. And the beauty of this one was like, we didn't, we, we had very few like parts that we knew who was gonna do what. And so, we just made it like whoever's there at the moment that we're doing the next skit, we'll give out the parts based on who happens to be there and who wants to do it, you know, and then slowly, you know, and, and so that's so low pressure. Anyone can leave at any time. Like we knew Kevin McGee had to sing uh, Mama's Apple or Christmas Apple Pie. And so like when he came, like, all right, halt, forget what we're doing now. McGee, McGee yeah. has got, has got to yeah. do the song. Let's get on set. <laughs> everyone else has to is on hold um but but that, i i love doing it that way and you know by the end of the night it was just like five of us you know and so it's like all right well i guess uh, i guess you'll do this part because uh there's no one else so you know if you want screen time you're rewarded for sticking around you know and it it's like the true believers are still around but the night before we filmed a little, um, like the, a lot of those commercial, um, the inter, interstitial the commercial thing, yeah. we did those uh, the night before. And then um, the day after we grabbed a couple other little like outdoor shots, et cetera. But, um, but it was good. It was good. You know, and it's like, 
having a deadline is really good. I think, you know, um, like, all right, we we're only doing it this weekend and then it has to be released before Christmas. And cause without a deadline projects can often just, um, drag and drag and drag and then just never amount to anything. Uh, you mentioned Christmas apple pie. Um, this is all a musical and that number in particular was amazing. That uh, Christmas laughter stood out to me. Um, were those all songs that you wrote? Yeah, well, Mama's Apple Pie, Christmas Apple Pie was originally Mama's Apple Pie, and Kevin and I wrote it way back in like 2003 or something. He he wrote the lyrics, and then I worked with him on, on the melody and the chords and stuff, and that's been released. Uh, we have a band called The Spoiled Chefs. Um, we do songs about food from way, way back. Um, and so then I was just like, oh, what, let's have McGee come and um, and we'll rewrite Christmas, Mama's Apple Pie to make it Christmas Apple Pie. Then Holiday Laughter, yeah, uh, Charlie and I wrote the lyrics together when we were writing out the whole script of the thing. And the opening song, Jan Deck Claus is going to get you. That was an original. And then we had a, a guy named John Cross. He lives in Brooklyn, too. Uh, he did um, – he did – uh, a, a Mose Haven song, which is like the first band I was in, uh, he performed. And that that part, that's when the River Beast is dancing with uh, Santa Claus. It's just like mm -hmm. the strangest <laughs> moment in uh, in Christmas history, but I love it. Going to your to your music stuff for just a second, because again, like, like if I haven't made this clear to people, you also have like a, a career as a as a musician with whole line of names that you perform under toilet bowl cleaners, the uh, paparazzis. Um, uh, what, get, throw some more out there. What, uh, what else? A very nice, interesting singer man, yeah. the odd man who sings about poop, puke, and pee, the sorry apology song person. Um, what's, the, what's the one where you sing about local towns and everything? Um, the guy who sings songs about cities and towns. I just finished Indiana, and I'm doing Delaware next. Beautiful. All that's to say, I wonder, Delaware, that's interesting. I didn't see a lot of Christmas music uh, going through like your stuff on Spotify, which is funny because it's hard to tell sometimes, you know, if I'm looking at all of your stuff, but is there, is there like, um, am I missing something? I have a handful of, of Christmas songs, but um, like five, six or so. I just, um, my, my general approach is to go where people, other people aren't going and there's plenty of Christmas songs. Um, not a lot of songs about Delaware cities. Yeah. I saw the Christmas, uh, one Christmas song was on a whole uh, album about other holidays. Uh, and, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, so I covered a lot of holidays there. Then um, there, there's a handful of other ones. There's the Jingle Bell Poop song, um, which is mildly popular. Um, but again, it's, I mean, I, I generally think the trick is to, to go, uh, to try to stand out somewhere rather than just go, I mean, everyone's got a Christmas album, you know? Yeah, put your elbows into, like, Christmas stuff. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Yeah. So I also want to ask you about suburbia. And this, I, I'm trying to, I'm going to struggle a little bit to find out what the question I'm having here is, if you'll, if you'll bear with me. So of course. I watched a lot of Christmas movies for this, um, this episode. I'm doing. And, you know, a lot of, like, off-brand Lifetime, off-brand, you know, um, I, one thing I find is that there's a very suburban quality to them, and you and that's different from like um, I think a lot of the suburban qualities that you tend to talk about uh, and look for in uh, like the regional horror films that uh, 
that that you kind of champion both with your work and, and advocate for. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? I, again, I don't know what my question here is, but it's just something that when I think about uh, Christmas movies, uh, you know, it's funny. I did think about like Moturn even you know before I even think I, I, I sort of thought about like talking about this particular special. Um, so yeah, I, I love I love the suburbs. Um... And I, in the same way that I sing about Delaware, um, instead of singing about something that might, might be popular, like I'm a champion of, of the suburbs because um, the suburbs are kind of like poo-pooed, you know, by you hoity-toity uh, <laughs> city folk. <laughs> Present company excluded, of course. No, no, um, I get so rageful when I'm in the suburbs, but it's all like childhood anxiety, like coming up. I, I'm owning it now, now that I'm older. <laughs> So, yeah, that's the thing. Like, um, I, I don't know, but I just, I just know that um, I'm, I'm, I'm naturally like um, a reactionary or, or I like to go against the grain. And so I, but, but typically against the grain means like, you know, an artiste, you know, in the city, you know, like, a, and so I'm going against, against the grain by, <laughs> by being in the suburbs and being more creative than these supposedly artistic people in um in cultural hubs you know and just saying take that in your face you know you think yeah. that only yeah. only weirdos in in hollywood and new york can be artistic oh yeah <laughs> take this i just did an album about delaware oh yeah <laughs> i just made a christmas special i mean there's a lot of like um ah shucks and, and and happiness um on the surface of my work, but like <laughs> beneath it is this just this rage filled <laughs> um, guy who's just like feels like constantly feels um, disrespected. So yeah. that that's all I got on that. That's topic. what I'm saying. That's what the suburbs <laughs> does to me too. It's 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 a phenomenal. But but you work with it. That's what I love about your work. I think in a lot of ways is like like that you do kind of like lean into it in a way that sounds true, like feels true to me. So. Um, do you think um, that um, I'm going to come out and say that the um, the Motrin Media Christmas special is way better than Terminator 2? Oh, far. yeah. I mean, but um, my knowledge of Terminator 2 is pretty, um, pretty limited. But if I've even seen the whole thing. But um, yeah, you know, I'm not a big action movie guy anyway, too. So uh, I'm biased. But uh, plus, I think T2, I mean, what's the runtime on that? Like two hours and, two and a 20 half. minutes or something it's 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 a lift yeah that's that is rough that's hard to to get through two and a half hours of that whereas uh, what we're like 47 minutes for the christmas special and yeah. uh, I'm, i know we haven't even mentioned it yet and i know we're probably wrapping up but uh i'm i'm particularly proud again in in going in, in a direction that no one would go like the the cultural icon that we're lampooning in our christmas special is jandek and and he's like an incredibly underground artist from Houston. Are you familiar with Jandek? I'm I'm not. I, I I caught the joke that he was an atonal artist. Yeah. So he's this sort of atonal artist from from Houston, Texas, who's been putting out records, literal vinyl records, for the first like 20 years of his career, and just just like dumping them on the on the world, you know, and like no one was interested in them for ages, and you know, I. <laughs> When I learned about him, I was like, man, this guy <laughs> reminds me of me, you know, and yeah. I love him. 
I send him fan mail and everything. He's the best. And from what I've heard, he's watched the Christmas special and got a kick out of it. But um, I just like that kind of thing. It's like, let's be, let's be like defiantly um, specific in, in the things that we're going to celebrate, you know, and to have like, I mean, you can't get much more of it, like a joke for only people in the know than to have, you know, uh, uh, a play on Jandek in your Christmas special. And uh, that's a great, great accomplishment for me. I'm, I'm proud. Yeah, you know, and, and it feels, I don't get, I didn't get that watching it, but, you know, I still enjoyed the show. Like, I could tell that there was something, you know, you were like alluding to something. Um, I just wasn't sure exactly what it was, but. Um, yeah, but you didn't need to know. You don't need to know. That's the thing. You, you can yeah, still enjoy it. And, you know, totally. Like, yeah. So, um, hey, well, thank you so much. Um, I know you guys have um, another feature that you're trying to work on. You're, you're yeah. trying to wrap up, but the, is this, stop me if this is getting a little too painful with the world being in the way. No, 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 no. I mean, I, I, I enjoy obstacles, you know, so <laughs> we hoped, we, we thought the movie Metal Detector Maniac would be done and, and premiered by now, but we just have like a weekend, maybe three days of filming to do. And it's just, too hard to get people to across state lines currently to um to do it so um in the meantime though we're writing the the next movie and frankly um there's a chance the next movie will be shot and, and released before the current movie is but they will they, even if we've aged like five six years you know within the movie we're still going to finish it at some point <laughs> well i'm looking forward to anything matt that you have coming up um love your work thanks for coming on the show uh hasta la vista all right this has been great merry christmas that's it folks that's that's my christmas special for this year i want to thank everyone who's been listening so far thanks to everyone who made to this point in the episode Uh, thanks very much to all of my guests and uh, you know guys it's been it's been such a weird goddamn year i hope you all stay safe and um We'll see you next year.